That's impossible, even for a computer. But it's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two meters. Then man your ships, and may the force be with you. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Leclerc and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 271, A New Hope, Act 3. I'm as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the porkins to my big stark letter, we have Carl LeClaire. Right with you, boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Pick up. Once you got one on your tail, watch it. <laughs> watch it. Watch it. <laughs> I can hold it. Ah! <laughs> Now I'm Porkins, apparently. Oh my god, I love Porkins. <laughs> How amazing is that? They named a chubby character Porkins. Right. Oh, so good. Right. <laughs> um, Jason, so I was quickly looking this morning to see where we left off with Act 2 of this film, because mm-hmm. it's been a while. We recorded that in November of 2016. Isn't that crazy? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Wow, I know we started this this series a while ago because I think <laughs> you we could started say that again. I think we started it right around Force Awakens, which obviously is almost over two years ago now. My goodness, so, my goodness gracious! And of course, now we're not doing it monthly; we're we're kind of spreading it out a little bit more. So right, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, we are we are excited to talk Act Three of A New Hope, which for us is going to essentially chart. Um, from them fleeing the Death Star, so right after Ben Kenobi's death. Um, so fleeing the Death Star, obviously, till the end credits roll. So that's what we're going to be looking at in tonight's episode. But Jason! Yes, Carl! My good bigs! <laughs> hey, Luke! Hey, Luke! <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I hey, told you, you I'd be up make there it. with us? I'll be right there with you. It'll be like old times. They'll never stop us, Luke. <laughs> They'll never stop us, Luke. Like, All of a sudden, Biggs gets an accent. <laughs> right. Out of nowhere. It's never stop us, Luke. 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 He's been watching the Olympics. He's been watching the Olympics too much. All the Scandinavians. Yeah, Luke. Yeah. Luke, let's go curling. You're any horror sin. <laughs> you know. Anyway. Oh, I missed that chef. <laughs> oh my goodness he's related so, to dexter jetster oh good old dexter good old dexter um <laughs> anyway so jason we yes. before we hop into the episode of course we did have a poll which is very pertinent tonight's to to tonight's episode where we asked our good and faithful larians what their favorite musical moment was in a new hope and um once again, quite a bit of responses. What say the Larians, my good friend? Well, they say, and um, here in sixth place with uh, one vote each, we have the Dune Sea of Tatooine, uh, Ben's Death, uh, the music plays right after he gets cut down, and the Trash Compactor. Um, Mark Herlman actually put that in and said that some of the best uh, 
parts of the soundtrack is when the music cuts out um, at key moments. So he liked that. Um, yeah, in- uh, real quick, because I, I love Mark, but I just want to Josh him here for a second. Here's the question, his favorite musical moment, and Mark gives us a non-musical moment. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, Mark, you did it wrong. Let's give him one star on iTunes. <laughs> right, right, because that's, that's what happens when you do it wrong. Mm-hmm. Like having Newt Gunray above Thrawn in your favorite villains list. Nah, whatever. Excuse me. It's before Rebels, and I still love Newt Gunray. Uh, yeah, me too. Do you think she suspects on attack? I don't know, but we must move quickly to disrupt all communications down there. We don't want any one-star reviews. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> We're probably getting one right now, but that's all right. <laughs> probably, because we interrupted our poll on a New Hope music. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, it always comes um, back to Phantom Menace with us, my friend. It kind of does. It's a little weird, but... I'll take it. Um, if weird means glorious, then yes. That is also <laughs> true. <laughs> All right, sorry. Uh, Back to the poll. <laughs> in uh, fifth place with two votes is the uh, the Empire uh, theme, you know, the bam, 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 bam stuff. Um, yes, I love so how one of the – and I, I sorry that I forget your name, but one of the folks, one of the Larians that commented literally wrote that out, dumb, 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 dumb. And I could like hear it immediately in my head. I was like, this is perfect. They typed it perfectly. Yes. Their phonetic was they on did. point. <laughs> on point. Um, and also uh, with two votes um, in fifth place is Here They Come, which is actually where my vote went. And so Greg, your buddy Greg, and I are actually right because this is the best part. <laughs> um, and this, that's when, uh, Leia says, here they come right before the, the TIE fighter attack that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, I absolutely love that track on the soundtrack. And so having that with the TIE fighter battle, is one of my favorite musical moments in the movie. There's a whole bunch of awesome musical moments in this movie, Yeah, but that just happens to be my favorite. Jason. Yes. Here they come. Here they come. A little later. Here we go. Here they come. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, that's really good. No it's exciting. It. It's fun. I can't get enough of it. Um, but we still have more. Um, in fourth place with three votes, we had the Cantina Band. Third place with four votes uh, is the Trench Run. Uh, many people said either the Trench Run, uh, specific moments during the Trench Run, or the Death Star Battle. I kind of just combined them all to make it the Trench Run. Um, second place with seven votes we have the throne room and then first place to no one's surprise uh this time with 12 votes we have the binary sunset yeah i'm not that's where your vote went i mean i can't help but do it it's right the visuals for sure right a lot of folks commented about how great the visual is in this scene but this first you know triumphant swell of the force theme with, you know, this sense of such great longing and, and desire for something more. Oh, so good.
And I you guess know, you go ahead. You you could almost say John Williams got it right the first time, and nothing else has quite hit that mark when he's done that theme again. Yeah. You know, that's that is the benchmark for the force theme. There's oh, some really? great interpretations and great uh different takes on the force theme, but that is the gold standard when it comes to that theme. Completely agree. Um and and I will say though, just to 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 further how good he is with that theme though, is I will say is he uses it so beautifully at the end of Last Jedi in Luke's final final moments though when he's Staring off at the you know twin sunset on Octu, um, yeah. again he 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 really brings that theme home and and again a very just more mature way just as he did with the you know Han and Leia theme in Force Awakens he really takes that theme and and rather than being a and again it's just I don't understand the intricacies of of musical language because I'm not that much of a musician but. Um, right. There is such a sense of the, just the way the strings carry the piece here in a new hope. It, it's, it's such a sense of longing for something more, right? There's some, there's something very yearning in the feel of that song, but then in last Jedi, the way he plays it, it's just, it, I don't know. It just has such a strong sense of fulfillment to it, right? Like it's Luke has reached his fullness. Um, and yeah, he just, he really brings it home in last Jedi. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good, um, man. I, just, I I can't get enough of John Williams. I mean, well, he's about to he's give got you, some great moments. He's going to give you a Han Solo theme in just a few months. I know, I know. Um, he's not obviously not doing the whole soundtrack, but he's right. got that theme. So right. I'm excited. Yeah, I had some friends over um, on Friday. Or Saturday? No, on Sunday, for that matter. Jeez, I can't remember what days are anymore. I worked all weekend, so. Um, but on Sunday, kind of keep running through the days of the week. You'll yeah, hit it eventually. I'll get there eventually, right? I got one in a seven chance. <laughs> um, but uh, my friends Greg and Ben came over to to play some Star Wars Destiny, the the card and dice game, and I put on some of John's John Powell music in the background. Who's going to be the composer of? the solo soundtrack just to get a sense of what kind of style he is. Cause I have no idea. I've never listened to his stuff before. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Like when Giacchino was, was, you know, tapped for rogue one, I, I definitely knew who Michael Giacchino was and was so excited. I know nothing about John Powell. I listened through, we listened to about like a half hour of his music. It was fine. Nothing really stood out to me, but um, to be fair, I think listening to soundtrack music without any context of, a, of the film itself makes it a little bit more challenging. I would say, um, so it, it it sounded fine. It nothing stood out to me the way Giacchino's music does. But again, I also have seen movies with Giacchino's music, so I think that makes for a different feeling. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying to remember. I I know I've got some of his soundtracks. I just cannot remember what he's done. Hold on. Yeah, I hadn't um, I hadn't heard of anything that he'd done. So he did. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, I've got. He did uh, the Kung Fu Panda movies with Hans Zimmer. Yeah, um, that stuff was really good. And then uh, Doctor Seuss's Horton Hears a Who is the soundtrack that I have. It's actually a very whimsical soundtrack. Not something I think we'll get for solo, but I, I really <laughs> like that soundtrack because it's quite whimsical. Um, but 
yeah, I need to I need to take a look and see what else he's done. So right. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let's get a little bit into Act Three here of of A New Hope. Because, uh, frankly, well, t- to be honest, there's not a ton to talk about because so much of Act 3 of A New Hope is just, you know, the ya- the Battle of Yavin. Um, right. Which, while exciting, there's there's only so many ways to say, wow, that's great, or wow, that's exciting. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love this moment. And, oh, my gosh, I love that moment. Right. You know. Um, but there are, I mean, there are definitely some some very important elements to Act 3 because there are some great character moments in this particular act. Mm. Um. Um, really quick before we dive into it, one last thing I want to say is, Jason, I am so flipping excited for the solo film. I'm trying, <laughs> I am trying so hard to like quell some of my excitement because, right, with with too high of expectations, right, we're always setting ourselves up for disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I just all I'm really expecting is a really fun film, and I'm just really confident we're going to get that. And after reading all the articles that um, Entertainment Weekly did. Um, and getting my hands on a hard copy of that, thanks to my friend Greg, um, I just I am so excited about the movie and uh, the interview they did with Alden uh, Alden Einrich, um, Aaron Reich, Aaron Reich, Alden, Aaron Reich. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I'm you're not the only one. I've I've heard on podcasts have trouble with that. So yeah, I've heard everyone out there. Alden Aaron Reich. There you go. Alden Aaron Reich. Alden. Yes. Um, but he, he described in the interview that it's very much a story about Han's sense of idealism and right. Like his, his desire to, to be, have a sense of freedom in the galaxy. And he has these dreams and high hopes for like kind of a, a bright future. And he, you know, throughout this, the course of the film, like he kind of understands how hard it is, how hard the real world is and how difficult it is to be idealistic. And I just, I really like that. Like, I love this idea of his character arc of going from being somewhat idealistic, which to me makes sense. The fact that he has such a strong connection to Luke in a new hope to me implies that Han understands idealism, right? Like if he's nothing more than just the, the braggart selfish, um, you know, self-important figure that he, that he projects himself to be, if that's, all he is, he would never have bought into Luke the way he does by the end of A New Hope. He would have never come back at the end of A New Hope, right? Right. Um, he would never offer Luke a job. He'd be like, fine, I'm going to wash my hands of you guys. You're ridiculous. Have fun killing yourselves, you know? Right. Which yeah. he kind of says anyways, except he offers Luke the out. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, that's a really powerful moment, which I know we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just, you know, just hearing him describe that and, and I was just telling you off air, I watched Hail Caesar last night just to get a sense of his acting style. And I think he's a phenomenal actor, even though Hail Caesar's, in my opinion, not a very good movie. But again, I, those aren't the types of movies that I typically enjoy. Um, but Alden Ehrenreich is so good in it. And I'm, and just him describing what, you know, what Han Solo's story arc is in this film makes me so excited. Um, and again, I, I I will be the first to admit for all of you who are who are crying out hypocrite right now. I hear you. <laughs> I totally I totally hear you. Like I know, not long ago I was like, oh, I don't care about this movie. It's it's going to be stupid. I'm not in, I'm not invested. Well, I I, I stand corrected, <laughs> and I <laughs> I am humble enough to say that I think I was wrong, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, good, good, and 
thankfully we only have about what three months left before we have get to see it can't wait uh, yeah um but let's uh jump forward in the timeline to when han is a bitter uh smuggler um you know thrown into an idealistic situation uh, escaping a death star um hope that old man got that tractor beam out of commission or this is gonna be a real trip short trip okay hit it <laughs> sorry mm. <laughs> Oh man! I stum- literally hits stum- the dash. Yes, um, yes. The steering yokes were not in, were not yet installed in the Millennium Falcon and A New Hope. Those came in an Empire. <laughs> um, no, they're there. No, okay. the steering yokes yes. are not there in A New Hope. Oh no, that's right. Yeah, that that's was, right. Never that's mind. why I'm, I like I'm thinking of the 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 light speed yokes. Right, um, right. That's why Harrison said to George, like when they were filming the first one, like, uh, "How do I fly this thing?" Or as he said, "How do I drive this thing?" <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, oh, George. actually, uh, yeah, go George, ahead. How do I drive this thing? Uh, you just uh, you know press some buttons and switch. You know, hit some switches. Uh. <laughs> It's all about uh, activating the engine angles and all that stuff. Don't worry about it. Just, just be we'll faster. Post. Just be faster and more intense. Yeah, faster, and more intense. <laughs> fix it in post. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really quick fun fact. Sorry to back up to Solo again, but um, the cool thing about Alden Einreich's Aaron Reich's character in Hail Caesar is he plays like a cowboy type character. Which I just find extremely interesting because that's the same character Harrison Ford played in American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of yeah. this cowboy ruffian, and he's well, not—he's not necessarily a ruffian in Hail Caesar for for Alden, but he's playing literally a cowboy type character, which is exactly what Harrison portrayed in American Graffiti. So I just—I just find it interesting that those things overlap. Yeah, well, and and Han Solo is a bit of a cowboy in space. Ooh, so good call. You know, just yeah. saying. It's uh, like it was meant to be. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah. um, let's hope so. <laughs> right. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, yes, the, the Falcon is escaping the Death Star, um, about to be pursued by some TIE fighters. But then, but before that happens, we have a tender moment between Luke and Leia. Mm-hmm. Where Leia... Yeah, and it, it it's a really interesting moment because, you know, Leia has lost so much more than Luke in this movie, but Luke is the one feeling the loss. She's, you know, kind of prepared in a way to, I guess, deal with that kind of loss. Uh, Whereas Luke is not Luke's Mm. been, you know, sheltered on the farm all his life and has lost now his aunt and uncle. And then Ben Kenobi, who kind of filled that place for him. And now he's completely on his own. Um, so she takes a moment to see that he's okay, you know, that to comfort him and, and that sort of thing. And again, just show how she is the strongest character in the entire saga because, you know, her whole entire planet got blown up in front of her and she's the one go, you know, making sure he's okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I always like to reference back in this moment to the ro- robot chickens, rendition of this oh i'm sorry the sad old man you just met about two hours ago died i lost my whole flipping planet (laughs) (laughs) right um but yeah no like you said i mean it it certainly uh exemplifies the fact that leia is a far stronger character um in a way because the fact that of just what she's been brought up in what she's been a part of 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I think also, again, just when it comes to the story writing, I think, again, George was writing the story of a hero. So, again, this is more from Luke's perspective than Leia's. Right. Um, and uh, and to be completely blunt, like I just think George struggled to fight to write female characters, um, which is fine to say. Um, I don't think he did a horrible job, but I just think, again, like for, for him, he's trying to convey to the audience Luke's temperament more than Leia's, which is what I think right. makes a little bit more sense of that scene. But even in universe, even in the story itself, like you just said, it really exemplifies the the strength that Leia has. Luke is, um, you know, I mean, in a way, though, they've both just lost their whole worlds. Like for Leia, yes, that means a whole lot more than Luke in the sense of quantity. But qualitatively mm-hmm. speaking, they've both lost their their families, right? For Luke, that just means two people. For Leia, that means, you know, two people plus an entire planet of folks that she helped, you know, uh, rule and run and, 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 and provide a sense of leadership for. So, yes, it's a, she was certainly more publicly involved, but they've both qualitatively lost their entire worlds. Um, yeah. The difference is, is, like you said, Leia is at a far different place than Luke in her maturation. She's far more mature than Luke. Not that Luke's immature, but Leia has clearly suffered loss before. And again, something that's very consistent about Leia's character throughout the entire original trilogy. And again, really personified in a new hope is she is someone who is very good at staying focused, right? And we're going to see that a little bit later in the film when they, when they show up on Yavin four and like, you know, when we heard about Alderaan, we feared the worst. There's no time for our sorrows commander, right? Like, Leia is, she's just all business. Like, it's just like, we need to, you know, if we wallow in the pain of what we just lost, we're never going to move forward. And that's really who Leia is. And I love that she's the one providing that comfort for Luke in that moment because he's not there yet. Right. No, he's not. Now, fast forward a few movies and he will be, but he's not there yet. This is his first experience in the larger world, so to speak, you know, and... He's never had to deal with things like this, where she um, is at least prepared for things like this. Right. Um, But then Han shows up, which I've always loved this moment. You know, we're not out of it. Hey, you know, hey, kid, we're not out of this yet. Um, (laughs) Right. And and I've always loved this because one, like, in a way it is, that's, that's Han being tender, right? That's how Han is being somewhat kind to Luke here. Because, and I know I've made this point on episodes in years past. Jeez, isn't that crazy, Jason? Years past. We've been doing this a while. Um, (laughs) But, uh, right, like, in this moment, Han is offering Luke also something more than just, you know, his sorrow. Leia's comforting him in him, you know, and and saying, you know, there's nothing you could have done, which is very true. Um, By the way, Luke has now been told that twice in this movie. Obi-Wan says it earlier, right, like after he comes back from the burning homestead. There's nothing you could have done had you been there, Luke. Um, and now Leia says it again. There's nothing you could have done. So in a way, I just I just think that's a really powerful thing for Luke to hear. There's nothing you could have done. Luke is a character who feels, in a way, powerless. So again, this this quest to become a Jedi is to also is a quest to make a difference, a quest to have some sense of power, not Emperor Palpatine power, but power over these types of situations. Cause that's true. There's nothing he could have done in this film, but had he been a fully trained Jedi Knight, been a different story. Yeah. Um, uh, in a similar way to what we see Ezra in rebels, except Ezra goes about it in a much more aggressive way than Luke does in, in seeking the power to protect, to defend, to be able to stand up against 
the the empire. Right. So. Well, in a way, like all of our all of our good hero, heroic characters in Star Wars inevitably seek some sense of power to protect the ones they love. It's true mm-hmm. of Luke. It was true of Anakin. It's true of Ezra. Um, in a way, it's even true of Rey. Um, so, you know, that's that's it's a good personification of, of a hero in Star Wars is they seek power for the sake of defending the ones they love. Right. Um, so, but yeah, anyway, so Han now offers Luke, you know, a sense of still worth worthiness, like, Oh, you were just powerless. And again, I don't think Han's consciously thinking this, but in a way Han offering Luke, you know, Hey, we're not out of this yet. Like we still have a fight on our hands. Like he it gives, gives it gives Luke um, a distraction from and a purpose. his loss and a and a purpose uh, to to achieve you know a, a a goal to work towards you know hey we you know we're not out of this yet we got to you know the rest of us want to make it out you can do you can still do something about that um, you know so right so and again like I just I love that that's what you know Han provides is is even he. Um, gives Luke something more than just the grief. Hey, you're feeling, you know, you're feeling lousy. Well, here, help out with this, right? Yeah. There's something, there's something more for you to do. Um, and of course, then we get this. Not that I, not that I think that yeah. was Han's motivation at all, but that's ultimately what he's able to do. <laughs> right. So, and yeah, and, and then we get this really exciting tie fighter battle. I love this scene so much. I mean, it's my favorite musical moment in the movie, uh, and I, ah, uh, I don't know. I've always enjoyed this scene, and you know, watching it over the years, I've realized kind of just how hokey some of it is, how cheesy some of it is. The shots and the, you know, the shaking of the the cockpit and the sets and stuff. I don't know. It, it's a little hokey, a little cheesy, but I, it was so epic when I first saw it as a kid. But I still love it. You know, mm-hmm. it's a great it's a great action piece. Um, and well, I, I always thought it was it, it was appropriate that Han and Luke each got one or got two. I should say it was even I, I, interesting <laughs> you say that. See, because like it always bothered me. I wish Han had gotten three and Luke had only gotten one <laughs> um, only because but, like, but it also it shows that Luke is competent and capable enough so that when he gets in an X-wing um, in the next, you know, action sequence he's actually a competent pilot so oh for sure no i totally i I don't disagree at all with that um just i remember as a kid because i was such a han solo fan i was Ah. like han should be a little bit better because what one like he's more experienced too this is his ship he knows how to do it better um but with where we're at now in the disney era right with the character of ray and people you know some people are you know oh how she's so good at everything well it's just something an eight in her. And we see that right here in Luke, right? You never heard people complain about Luke being innately good at things. Um, right. The fact that Luke is literally on par with Han shows that Luke just has an innate ability. Um, this has nothing to do with piloting either, right? Like being a gunner is not being a pilot. Luke is inevitably a good pilot as well as a good gunner. Right. Right. For all we know, we definitely, we definitely see that, you know, this has nothing, you know, Piloting and, and gunnery is two di- very different things, as we see with Finn. <laughs> Finn's like, I can't fly anything, but I can shoot things. So, yeah. In what Force are you Awakens. doing back there? You ever going to fire back? 
oh yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to all the people who are now saying in light of Last Jedi that Chewie was always the best pilot, um, I don't know about that. Here in A New Hope, all he does is fly straight. So kind of. How good of a pilot is he, my friends? <laughs> kinda. Um, um, clearly, that is mean, that is indicative of the technology of the times. But right. if you want to get you know hokey like that and be like, oh, he's the better pilot than Han, I, I'm calling I'm calling malarkey because Chewie only flies in straight lines when Han's not behind the wheel. <laughs> well, I <laughs> that's funny, but I, I I hadn't heard that argument, but I don't agree with it because Chewie. Uh, completely scraped up the Falcon in The Last Jedi, uh, flying through Crate, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Han was able to get through the asteroid field completely unscathed. That's right. Not one little scratch. Nope. So, Except when the Minox started chewing on the power cables. That's not his um, fault. <laughs> <laughs> that's not his fault. It's not my fault. Um, <laughs> no light speed? It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, that's it. We have this, this, this like really exciting, uh, you know, space battle. And it, what's so cool about it is, um, something they did in Phantom Menace that I always loved. Um, like I said, Jason always comes back, always comes back to Phantom Menace, <laughs> right? But the, the, the first duel on Tatooine between Maul and Qui-Gon, right? It's, it's. The first initial shots, we get a re- you know we get a really good sense of how cool the choreography is. But then the rest of the the fight is very zoomed in, right? It's very it's flashy, it's close, like it's really hard to get a sense of it. Mm-hmm. And that's on purpose, right? It's meant to be something to whet your appetite for what's coming later, um, right? And I, I I always feel like this Tie Fighter fight in A New Hope does the same thing, right? It's wetting our app. Like if you thought that was cool, just wait till the end space battle. Right. Like right. this, this really exactly. just, it, it really just whets the appetite. And and I would assume, again, I wasn't alive, but I'm assuming the folks that saw this film for the first time had no idea how much cooler it was about to get in just like 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, I, I totally agree. This is, this is just a drop in the bucket. This is, Hey, you think this is cool? Just wait. Um, like, like you said, I, I totally agree. As far as space battles are concerned, the, the next one is, definitely the better of the two um but but we also find out that the space battle the the attack of the tie fighters is more of a ruse yes because we cut back to tarkin and vader and they're discussing you know that the tractor beam placed on the ship is still fully operational and that you know tarkin tarkin doesn't like it but he's going along with the plan I'm taking an awful risk risk here, Lord Vader. This had better work. (laughs) You know, and here's why I love this moment. Um, Because in a way, right, Vader fails at breaking Leia, um, right, by trying to torture her and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that. But Tarkin is able to because he takes a different route, right? He goes with a different tactic. So in a way, yes, Tarkin ultimately fails too because she just lies to him. Um, But... Initially, they do believe her, right? Like, oh, Dantooine, sure, we'll go there. But it's, you know, it's too remote to, to make an effective demonstration. Um, so I like that in this Good moment. Time, we'll deal with your rebel friends soon enough. Um, very good. Sorry. No, don't be. <laughs> um, but I like that Vader here is the one who calls the shots in the sense that, like, right, like Tarkin and his 
you know, when the way you watch those two interact through up until this point in the film, like it's clear that Tarkin's in charge, but I like that. This is Vader's idea. Um, and Tarkin is the one who's a little uneasy about it, but Vader is confident it will work. And I think it kind of makes up for the fact that Tarkin earlier appeared to be the smarter one. Um, but no, Vader is on equal strategic mode of thinking as Tarkin. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he's not just the muscle. He's also intelligent. So, yes. And again, like, obviously, yes, for all of us now today with an entire saga to behind who's behind that mask, of course, that doesn't surprise us. But again, even just in the context of this film on its own, like you do learn there that there's more to Vader, like you said, than just, you know, his muscle. Exactly. I'm more than uh, just muscle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody get to your fighters now. <laughs> get to the get to the Falcon. <laughs> oh, All right. Man. But um, uh, Leia is smart enough to know that this is, you know, a trick, too. So she's like, they're, they're tracking us. Not this ship, sister. Uh, I love that line. Yeah, sure, whatever, Han. Um but yeah, no, she, she knows they let us, they let them go. She knows that they're tracking the ship and that, that as soon as they get to Gavin, there's going to be a fight on their hands. So. Right. And we finally learned what's in freaking R2D2. Exactly. Yeah. She, you know, what's so important? What's he carrying? Oh, just the entire plans of the Death Star that we just escaped. You know, no big deal. Yeah. NBD. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Cassian, Jin, Chirrut, Bays, um, K2SO, and Bodhi. Yeah. And Malshik. <laughs> and Malshik. I love Malshik. And Admiral Raddus. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. uh-huh, mm. That's right. Good old Admiral Raddus. Oh, yes. Um, but anyway, yeah, yes. Yeah. Thanks to our characters that we just finished doing commentary for last week, uh, <laughs> R2's got. R2's got the, the entire technical readouts of that battle station. Yeah. And real quick, just, just as a, a little aside, I've always enjoyed this little moment here because this is the only time we see Han sitting in the co-pilot seat. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know why they did it. Again, it was probably just the way they, they filmed it that day. I doubt there was any real thought behind it. Um, but I just, well, it's where Leia, Leia sat down in the pilot seat when they ran into, you that's know, true. To, to start, the the battle and she just kind of stayed there right and you know to be fair even in last jedi when when chewie's piloting through crate he's still sitting in the co-pilot seat isn't he yes yes he is so like right so it makes sense that she sat down in the pilot seat because chewie's seat is the co-pilot seat um she just clearly hasn't gotten up but i just right i just think it's interesting because it, it it's such a testament to her character that here we are on Han's ship. Han's the captain of the Millennium Falcon, but he's co-pilot to Leia. Like again, like it's. It, I don't think it's that meant to be that intentional. But again, like Leia's the one who's still kind of calling the shots. Um, and I just oh, think yeah. visually that's just really cool. What the statement they're making? Yeah, it it, it probably was just like okay, she was, she was sitting there last. Let's just keep her there uh, when they were filming it. But yeah, it does make for quite the nice picture. <laughs> And then he sticks his finger in her face and she just kind of looks at it like, mm, okay, I see what you're all about. You just want the money. You don't care about anything. So. Right. 
Yeah. And, and she uh, leaves Luke with a snarky remark about the whole thing. <laughs> Your friend's quite the mercenary. I wonder if he cares about anybody or anything or anybody. I care. <laughs> I care. Um, you know, I think smooth, smooth. I, I genuinely think, though, that Leia is disappointed in Han. Right. Like, I think I think so. Right. The way she, you know, he's carry. Here's what R2 is carrying. Like, it's not over yet. Like the way she says that is implying that everyone here on the ship right now, you know, Yuhan, Luke, Chewie, the droids, like we're all going to about we're about to be part of a bigger battle. And Han immediately just shoots that down. No, 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 no. I'm done. I'm only in this for money. And Leia, Leia immediately understands the kind of person she is. And she is genuinely disappointed by that. Like. Here she's yeah. thinking that he, there, there is something more to him, but right here she seems to think, well, maybe not. This sucks. And that yeah. that jab she makes about him, um, right? Like I think it does get beneath Han's skin because, again, like oh, I'm just I know like we try to keep these pieces standalone, but I gotta say, like I really think the solo film is gonna do a lot to flesh out the kind of character Han always is. And again, something that was discussed in the entertainment weekly articles was how Han Solo's character is in the new film is constantly struggling with doing what he knows to be right, but doing what he knows he has to do, which in the criminal underworld is often shady stuff. Um, Right. So like Han is an inherently good character, but he will do questionable things because he just has to. And I think when Leia makes a statement like this, right, like I wonder if he really cares about anything or anybody um, like I immediately just think of even though I haven't seen the film and I could be completely off. But I just meet my my thought when I was watching this today was I just thought of Kira right away. Like, again, I don't know exactly what she is to Han, but she's obviously someone important. Han cares about people. And so when Leia yeah. makes a statement like that, like I think it just it definitely gets underneath Han's skin. Oh yeah, no, it it, it even looks like it because he kind of sulks his way back to flipping, you know, the the switches and getting the Falcon on course and everything, um, you know, pointedly ignoring her as she leaves the cockpit, um, and only really looks up when when Luke sits down yeah. uh, next to him. So, and so I just, cause Jason and I both have this on in the background, not the volume, but like just to keep track, I, I paused it at the one hour, 37 minute and 38 second mark. And just the look on Han's face, like he does look like he's like, he's, he's thinking he, those words. She just said to him, has him thinking clearly about people he does care about. And just again, like I, I don't know what, you know, Harrison's direction is in this point or even what he's trying to convey. But the way I'm looking at his facial expression right there is he is deep in thought and he's bothered by what she just said, Um, by the way, but also love Luke's little line. I care. Like that's Luke's pickup line, (laughs) right? Luke is trying to pick her up right now by being the good guy. I care. Smooth (laughs) Skywalker. Smooth. Um, Oh man. (laughs) And then, and then of course, you know, he says, what, what you think about her, Han? I'm trying not to. Good. And then, and, of course, and by the Han way, has to mess with him. Exactly. Because when, when Han says trying not to, Luke, and Luke says good, like he, he gets this little smirk on his face. Because, again, like I think for Luke, he's like, oh, good. Because, like, again, that frees her up for me to go after. Um, right, right. Like, I, think I, I have what, a shot, you yeah, know. Exactly. 
Exactly. Because <laughs> probably Luke's had it right at the forefront is like, oh, Han's this cool, like, smuggler pilot. Like, boy, he'd be tough competition in, in the dating pool. But then when Han's like, oh, I'm not interested, he's like, oh, good. Good. But you're right. Yeah, then good. Han decides to mess with him. Still, she's got a lot of so, spirit. I don't know. What do you think? You think a princess and a guy like me? No. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, it's <laughs> such a good little moment. <laughs> it really is. It's so funny because it's it's such a real moment. I mean, it, this is like, you know, brothers or something, you know, it, having a conversation about a, you know, a mutual female friend of theirs, you know, um, <laughs> and the older one's got to mess with the younger one. Cause the younger one's, you know, now just starting to float the idea of romance out and the big brother's got to, you know, but you know, you got to mess with the mess with the kid. So it's great. It's great. Although I'm totally Luke in that situation. Um, <laughs> Just completely oh, Luke. Yeah, I'd probably be Luke in that situation too. I, I mean, I wish I was as cool as Han, but I know I'm not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, and and I love it again because it just it. This is again, this film does such a good job of convincing us of the relationship of the big three, right? Like, yes, Han and Leia certainly have a point of like. There's a there's a there's a there's a bit of a contention between these two. But Luke genuinely like likes both of these characters, and both characters genuinely like Luke, right? He's the connective tissue at this point of the game. But they, again, like when this movie ends, you really care about all three of these characters enough that when they split up an empire, it's okay because we we're already convinced of what they have, um, and uh, I just think that's it's so well executed. And little mo- like a little moment like that does so much. To, to push these characters together in a, in a forward way. Yeah. And then we uh, get to Yavin four and boy, we've taken a long time already on like four or five minutes um, of this act. <laughs> right. um, but, but we get to Yavin four. Finally, uh, we get to the rebel base and Leia is immediately taking charge yet again. She's not even worried about, you know, the, the condolences for the loss of Alderaan, uh, you know, there'll be time for our sorrows later, General. You know, we've got the Death Star behind us. we got to get the info out of R2 so that we can blow it up yeah. or something, you know. Although, can, uh, I, and so she's, can I just say really quick, because it's before that, when there's that quick shot of them, like, um, getting onto the little, like, personal transport things. Um, mm-hmm. Outside the main base of the Masasi Temple, there are, again, if you've watched Rogue One, that f- initially that thing was full of ships. It's completely yeah. bare now. All the ships are inside the fortress, which again implies the casualties that you know were were taken at Scarif. Yeah, again, it does. I don't think that was thought about when obviously George made this film in 1977. But like again, just for us canonically thinking. Right, like oh, if you would say like, "Oh, where are all the ships from Rogue One?" You know that 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 airfield was full. Well, now you know they most of the fleet was destroyed at Scarif. Right, right, yeah. Now that's a that was a big loss for them. Um, but uh, but we get right to work on decoding the Death Star plans. R 2s got the the magic ticket, you know the the golden ticket, the the magic wand 
for their plans. And we hit the briefing room with General Dodonna uh, t- describing the attack plan. Um, and Luke's there. Han's there. I think more out of curiosity. But uh <laughs> right. Well and like right like his 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 physical cues the way he's just right like he lifts it, like li- lifts his hand in like this very dismissive gesture like right Dodonna is super serious the, the the pilots are super keyed in on him like listening to this battle plan Han's just thinking you guys are nuts. Right. Right. And you know but Chewie, Chewie keeps looking at Han like, oh, you, you want to do this? You want to stick around? And that's when Han gives the dismissive wave like, uh, no, this, this is ridiculous. Why, why should we stick around? Um, but we realize with this battle plan what a long shot it is. How, how difficult this is going to be and what massive odds our rebellion is up against. Yeah. Um, it's a bunch of, you know, they got like 30 small fighters and they got to go up and blow up a space station the size of a small moon. Uh, yeah. No fleet, just starfighters. Right. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in, so again, this character was meant to be Wedge. It's not, um, for any of you, if you ever played the Star Wars customizable card game by Decipher back in the the mid to late nineties, the wedge until the first wedge Antilles card to come out was actually a picture of that character. So I always just assumed that was Wedge, but then when we see him with his helmet, I'm like, this guy looks nothing like Wedge. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, because it was. We're mis- talking about the guy sitting next to Luke, exactly. Who's like, that's impossible, even for a computer. Um, so that guy was misnamed by Decipher's CCG, CCG game back in the 90s as Wedge, even though it's not Wedge. But what I love is Luke's response is, it's not impossible. I used to bullseye Womp Rats back. Right? Like, again, Luke is our hero. So yeah. you have, you know, you have. And he's you know, just naive enough to not realize what, how bad these odds are. Right. Exactly. Um, but I love that he's the one who has. Right, who 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 recognizes that nothing's impossible, um, yeah. and then he immediately makes it uh, relatable for himself. Like I've actually i've I've done target practice on something like that before. It's definitely not impossible, right? Like Luke is, of course, the one who's going to make what seems to be impossible possible. That's the point of his character. Yeah, he's yeah. our hero. Um, and then, but then we get a, you know, we go back on to uh, get this brief little intercut scene on the Death Star between Tarkin and Vader. And Tarkin doesn't say anything here, but Vader's kind of glorying in what's about to come, right? This will be a day long remembered. It's seen the, ben- the end of Kenobi, and now we'll see the end of the rebellion. Um, and the way Tarkin just looks at him, I don't know, he almost, it's not that he doesn't believe it. He's just, I don't know, very perplexed by it. Like, almost like, a little bit wary, like, mm, let's not jump the gun quite yet. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, well, you know, we we know that he's aware that the Rebellion operates in cells, in many small cells. And so he's probably well aware that there are, you know, other bases of operation for the Rebellion, for the Rebel Alliance. However, to um, Vader's credit, you know, a lot of the leadership is still here on Yavin. Mon Mothma isn't anymore. She's left between Rogue One and now. Um, and so, you know, she could still 
keep the rebellion fighting even after this. Uh, but Tarkin is like, he gives that look like, well, let's not count our chickens before they hatch Vader. Um, I wish he had yeah. said that. <laughs> <laughs> let's not count our chickens before they hatch Lord Vader. Oh my God. I hope that's a deleted scene somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's great um yeah but i I do like that tarkin's just a little bit wary and right i think that's even gonna come out a little bit later when you know his that one aide comes up to him and says you know we've analyzed their attack so there is a danger evacuate in a moment of triumph i think you will underestimate their chances (laughs) you know i think I think you'd overestimate that chances. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even in that line, he doesn't, the way he, I don't know, there's something about his body language, the way he even says it. Like, I don't think he's 100% convinced that that's exactly the case. But I think he is such a, the thing about Tarkin is he's just too damn proud to ever admit defeat or to ever admit that he's been outsmarted or out, you know, outwitted. Right. So I think for Tarkin, even though he somewhat believes that analysis, he won't, he he has to save face here, right? Um, he I'm the captain of the ship. I'll go down with it if I have to. Type of a thing, right? Right, yeah. But we cut back to just before the rebels leave, and uh, Luke has one last conversation with Han. Yeah. Now I'll let you take this. <laughs> I mean, I I love this scene because, right, like Han is just getting out of there. He's got his money. He's got what he needs. He can he can go back, pay off the debt he has and be what he would assume to be a free man again. Um, again, and I'm, and I'm sorry to do this, uh, but in the again, in the Entertainment Weekly article, they discuss a lot about how Han Solo's desires to be a free man which is a difficult thing to be at this state in the galaxy, whether you're you know, owned by the empire or, you know, by some sort of slaver or something, right? It's a difficult thing to be a free person in all of its entirety, but that's Han's mm-hmm. desire. And clearly he's still not there when we get to a new hope. And I think Han leaving here is for Han. This is an opportunity to what he, to him, his highest purpose is to become a free man. So he's leaving in the hopes of doing that. And Luke is essentially saying like, bro stick around like we need you here um yeah and you know hans Han, excuse me luke is the idealist here and again like i think it's just fascinating that that we're going to get some sense of that version of han in the solo film because i think that's why it does connect for han there like he understands idealism he was there once but luke is the voice of idealism but also the voice of truth the voice of truth that like Han, this is so much bigger than your own personal freedom, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To like, to use a little bit of like theological language, like salvation can never just be something completely individual. It needs to be something communal, something more than just yourself. And that's what Luke is offering. Luke is saying like true freedom doesn't come from money and buying yourself out of the under the being under the thumb of this true freedom comes by eliminating this tyrannical empire. So he's giving Han the, the bigger perspective, but Han again, in all of his experience and wisdom is saying like, you don't get it kid. Like this is suicide. Um, and, and that's why he invites Luke to come with them because in Han's eyes, he's trying to save Luke's life. Um, and uh, and he, he values Luke like he genuinely likes Luke, 
Um, but, uh, you know, Luke's just not buying it. Luke, again, he is this, this young idealist and understands that the, the biggest enemy here, the biggest impingement on freedom is the Galactic Empire. So he's going to go ahead and go after this. And I love this, like, parting shot he takes at Han. Well, fine, Han. I Take care of yourself. I guess that's what you're best at, right? Like, and again, I just, like earlier when, when Leia makes this, you know, kind of harsh comment to Han about only caring about himself, Luke's now backing that up. And I think that really bothers Han, like, you guys don't get it. Like I do care about people. And I think that's why he calls Luke back and says, may the force be with you because Han genuinely cares about Luke and fine. Luke, if you're going to do this, I am going to make a statement that I've probably never made in my entire life, but I'm doing this because I care about you. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Yeah. I've, I, I've said enough. <laughs> what, 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 what do you think? What do you think of this, this, this uh, great little scene between these two? Well, uh, it's Han is really, really working hard to maintain the the air of a you know dispassionate smuggler. He's working extremely hard on it. He's talk, you know, all the arguments he's giving Luke about leaving. Um, you know, he's also trying to convince himself of you know that, that these are you know. This is Han trying to convince himself that he's doing the right thing by by just jumping ship here by by leaving by dropping his cargo at the first sign of an imperial starship, um, so to speak. But uh, <laughs> but but Luke is challenging it. You know, Luke is like, I, I you know, that's not the right thing to do. You know, they need help, and you're incredibly skilled at you know, being a pilot and you could really do a lot here. And Han is really trying to talk himself into not getting attached, not catching the idealism bug, so to speak. Um, And I think more than anything, he's, he gets impressed with Luke when Luke says no to his offer. Yeah. Um, I think that raises his opinion of, of Luke in quite a bit, um, which is what prompts the, you know, may the force be with you. And then he turns around and Chewie's there staring at him and grunting. And Han's like, what? I know what I'm doing. You know, right. No, that's not the case because Chewie is Han's conscience. Um, so He's like Jiminy Cricket, except tall and hairy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so for those of us who know the characters, we know it's only a matter of time before Han shows back up. Uh, But we didn't know that when we first saw this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, And then Luke goes and bumps into Leia and he's all bummed out because Han's not going to come. And, and Leia's wise enough to know you can't force people to, you know, get involved and to be idealized, you know, idealistic and that sort of thing. So he's going to have to find his own way. Um, and then Luke bumps into an old friend from tattooing. Yeah. Um, real quick though, this, this moment with Leia, I just want to kind of, Oh sure. Uh, you know, back, back up what you're saying here in the sense of, yeah, like I, I love that Leia is the one who's giving him now perspective, right? 
Han is thinking just, again, very small world, mostly about himself. Luke is thinking much bigger than that. But Luke is still a naive idealist, right? Leia is definitely an idealist as well, but not necessarily a naive idealist like Luke is. Correct. And she's the one who's going to have to say, like, listen, yeah, like you can't force somebody to care about something. Um, And and again, that's just that's so human, right? Like how frustrating is it when you're trying to convince somebody of of taking part in something that you know is good for them, like, you know, it's going to be good for them, but they're they're just not going to. And Leia saying you you can't force them, right? You just you can't force somebody to, to participate in something like this. And it's curious because then Luke is just like, well, I just wish Ben was here again. Like, I think he's just, he's looking for direction still. And yeah, what he gets from Leia though is a nice little kiss again, you know, like, like, and I think, I don't think her kiss is meant to be romantic. It's more of comfort. Like you're not alone, Luke, you are here. And then immediately after this, right? Like here he is, he, he, he has no problem being vulnerable to Leia. And, you know, making that request known that making that desire known of like, I just, I need some direction here. That's why I wish Ben was here. Well, immediately after that, who shows up, but his best buddy, who's always guided him for most of his upbringing, good old Biggs. Right. Biggs, dark lighter. And I can't believe this scene was like almost completely cut from the original film. Comple- almost. Com- um, it was completely cut from the original. It film. was completely. Cut. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I, yeah. Um, so, it, uh, because it's so it's so good it's so nice to have this in there uh you know it it's great to you know have someone who can back up Luke's credentials as a pilot um and it's kind of you know sad because you get to see them reconnect and then you know at the end of the battle of course Biggs doesn't make it and all their plans of you know fighting the empire side by side and you know getting caught up on all their stories don't ever happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always loved, but, I mean, how can you not love Biggs and his stash? <laughs> you can't help it. Um, I mean, I always loved that deleted scene from early in the film and I understand why they deleted it. It would have been a weird way to start the movie. Um, mm-hmm. but the scene where like he and Luke are talking and Biggs is essentially saying like, you will get out of here eventually. Um, there is such a I've always felt such a profound sadness for Luke as Biggs walks away. Like there goes your only friend, like your only good friend anyway. Right. Like you've got some fake friends here at Anchorhead, but Biggs is the only real one. Um, and that I, I, that's why I love this little encounter between the two of them. They're so excited to see each other. And again, just like, you know, they'll never you know, it'll be just like old times. They'll never stop us. Right. Like there's they genuinely believe that like we were the, you know, we're the best pilots in all of Tatooine. Well, Tatooine's a backward planet that, um, you know, like back, yeah. back world, not backward, backworld planet where like, okay, you're the best pilot in a place where nobody really flies. Yippee. Right. <laughs> um, Yippee! yeah, I mean, that's like saying you're the best swimmer on a desert planet. Like, okay, cool. Like nobody right. swims here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's such, but like the, in this scene though, like you do, like you feel that confidence. Like they're like, all right. Like again, if this was like a more modern take on the world. Yeah. If this was a more modern film, you'd probably get like an eye of the tiger type piece of music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, right. You know, so a Rocky quote or something. Yeah. 
It's the eye of the Cray Dragon. It's the clean of the fight. You know, like you got to doesn't quite flow as well, right? Um, but yeah, like you know, it's this great moment. Luke's so happy. Like my best friend's back. We're gonna talk all about my adventures when we get back, right? He gives such a sense of hope, right? That this this is gonna turn out well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then you got these mechanics asking if Luke wants a new R2 unit because his is a little banged up. Psh, are you kidding me? That's the best R2 unit in the entire galaxy. Uh, um, you never not on replace your, R2. Yeah, not on your life. That little R2 unit and I have been through a lot together. You okay back there, R2? <laughs> Good. <laughs> you know. Um, and a little scene like that, again, like there's not much to the scene, but it, I... I as, as much as George takes hits for not being a great writer, I think he, he knows how to write well. He doesn't necessarily write the best dialogue, but a little scene like that just reminds you, like, it, it just tells you, like, we've these this character has gone on a journey with this droid. Here's where they're at now. And, like, he has an attachment to the droid. Like, this droid is, is the reason he's here, right? Like, yeah. so we just get such a strong sense of connection between these characters by the end of this film that it just, it makes the rest of the trilogy so good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and anytime we get to highlight R2 is a good time. Um, well, I'm assuming you must love the little exchange then between R2 and 3PO. Oh yeah. It's great because you know, 3PO, uh, at the beginning of the movie is like, you know, why I stick, stick my neck out. It was quite beyond my capacity. And then of course, uh, here we are again, you know, the end and R2 is about ready to go back out into battle and uh, 3PO is worried again. Uh, you know, is you will come back, R2. Wouldn't want my life to get boring now, would you? You know, <laughs> using self-deprecating humor to, you know, self-deprecation to hide the fact that he really does care about R2. Uh, but, you know, droids are not supposed to care, right? They're They're droids. They're supposed to be automatons in a sense right 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 yeah not quite um not these not these guys <laughs> so uh, but yeah no i i love that little interaction and you know r2 is the, the greatest as, as we will see during the battle um but one thing i want to mention is you know as the they're all taking off from the hangar luke hears ben again and he, you know, doesn't seem to quite believe it. You know, it's like, well, that was weird. You know, I must be hearing things is kind of the, the impression I get um, when he hears Ben as he's taking off. But uh just want to point out that that's going to keep coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um And, as they, yeah, right. As they take off here, Luke hears his mentor. Uh-huh. Um, again, further, again, here's his mentor again. Further evidence that Ben is not completely gone. As Luke says right. himself in episode eight, no one's ever truly gone. Um, <laughs> and he's learning that here. But I love how he taps the side of his helmet. How cool what, is what the heck? Like, what a great little, like, just again, what a great little character moment of like, uh, what was that? Right, like just this little moment of disbelief, right? Um, but yeah, as all, it, all these ships are taking off, it, one of the best things the special edition did was you know just enhancing these little scenes, 
right? The way oh, yeah. that the ships are, you know, taking off and then we see them all flying in formation on their way to the Death Star. Um, the special edition in 97 really just beefed all this stuff up. And, and it, to me, it's like the best, the best stuff about the, uh, the special editions. I, to me, the special editions, all the best moments from the special edition are in a new hope in my, in my opinion. Um, um, I, I would say most of them. Yes. I, yeah, the other ones didn't have so much. Right. Um, right. Well, yeah, yeah again, no. this one clearly has the most as well. So, oh yeah. Yeah, but no, I I love all these shots of the X-Wings and the Y-Wings, you know, coming around Yavin, approaching the Death Star and that sort of thing. It's I, I can't imagine seeing the movie without that um, because, of course, like I was introduced to Star Wars with special editions and that was just always there. So I cannot imagine the movie without some of these shots. Um, and so, yeah, I, it makes the battle much more exciting and interesting. Well, to be honest, I mean, it, I definitely have seen the original versions before the special edition because I did have those releases on VHS before these came out. But I don't think I've watched those original versions really since 97. So I don't really remember them as well. Like, I remember them being different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. Even though I've only not only seen these films, but um, it certainly, uh, yeah, certainly has really enhanced them. Yeah. Um, and of course, I just want to mention that we get uh, Red Leader and Gold Leader back from Rogue One. So, yeah, that's where they first were. <laughs> well, I know. I know. <laughs> no, I'm just they're, they're first here, but, you know, we they found, you know, stock footage of them, you know, unused footage of them and put it in Rogue One. So I think that's amazing that they were able to make that connection. But we see that they survived the battle and made it, got away from Scarif. So. The fact that they've got another big, you know, massive space battle on their hands, you know, right away. They must have had like hardly any sleep. Yeah. Well, I love, you know, Wedge's Wedge saying, you know, look, look at the size of that thing implies that he was not at the Battle of Scarif. Um, exactly. Don't know why, because Red Squadron was there. Um Although to be fair, he could have been there and had just jumped out, jumped to light speed before the Death Star showed up. Although I don't think the timing works because I think it shows no. up before they leave. Before anybody, my leaves. guess, my guess is he was um, part of a different squadron that didn't go, and uh, when after the Battle of Scarif, he was promoted to Red Squadron in order to. Um, fill a spot sure. that was lost. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that could be right. Well, they did say the, the voice of the person on the intercom in rogue one, who's, you know, saying like all forces were being redirected to Scarif. That's apparently the same actor that voices wedge in rebels. Um, so oh. yeah. Um, so that's supposed to be wedge giving that command, but I never thought it sounded anything like him. And I still don't. And I also don't think the voice actor sounds anything like wedge, even in rebels. <laughs> So, which is fine. I don't, I don't care, but, um, to me, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So fun little fact, but yeah, you've got, you know, here we go. Like this massive space battle over Yavin, but Jason, cause I know we're not going to talk about like every little moment of this space battle because yeah. again, it's just, it's fun and it's exciting. But my biggest question that I always still ask, and I mean, the simple answer is, well, again, 
their limitations at the time. But they are going to battle against the Death Star. Yes, like the I understand that they can evade the turbo lasers. That makes sense. They're they're in close, they're fast. But the Death Star has to have like at least a thousand TIE fighters. You've got a fleet of like 20 fighters coming up against this. Where are all the TIE fighters? I mean, yes, they send out like seven in a few minutes. But again, like, is there any like, is there anything in your head canon that makes sense of this? Again, when I was a kid, I didn't care. Like, I just didn't think about it. But sometimes like now I'll think about it. I'm like, that's just so crazy. Like they would have never lasted regardless because even if they had a hundred fighters, like the Death Star probably has like a thousand fighters. (laughs) So, um Anything in your head canon to make sense of that? Um, I think the the Death Star is is traveling at this time. It's not stationary, so maybe you know only uh, certain hangars are operational. I don't know, um, and so that only certain squads of fighters are able to go out, or maybe they only decided to send a squad or two. You know, just eh, there. It's Rebel starfighters and they're attacking a giant Death Star. What can they really do? Let's just let them have their fun, but don't you know slow up at all. We're going to blow up that Rebel base. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And in during the battle, right when like Vader says, you know, you know, several of the fighters have broken off from the main group. Come with me. Again, for those of us who have seen Rebels, we know how deadly Vader is in his fighter. Yes. Um, so Vader by himself probably could have gone out there even before right at the beginning of this battle by himself and probably picked off the entire fleet of, you know, X-Wings and Y-Wings. Right. He could have, but, um, that almost seems to be like a decision he made on his own to do too. Like he, he realized he was, you know, observing the, the attacks of the, the rebel fighters and realized something was going on and he had to put a stop to it. And so it almost is like he made the decision to go out on his own and was not, you know, told to or suggested to do that by Tarkin at all. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So he goes and grabs a couple of pilots and says, come with me. You know? <laughs> right. Um, well, so let's just, just for the sake of, of time, because like I said, we don't need to talk about every little moment of this, this, this battle, which is obviously very exciting. And, and to be yes. fair, right? Like I understand, you know, I've talked to friends who, who were, you know, were kids when this movie came out and how exciting it was and how different it was pacing wise from other films. You know, you put a new hope next to like a modern blockbuster action, you know, dogfight type thing. It's not necessarily leaps and I mean, if anything, it, it's it's dated compared to more modern things. However, mm-hmm. I still would say it stands up really darn well for the fact oh, yeah. that it's a 40 year old movie. And again, it's so evident that George was just replicating World War Two fitted World War Two footage um, of fighter aircraft. Oh, yeah, no, it, it definitely it, it's so cool. Um I will say one of my favorite moments in the battle is when uh, Wedge comes in to save Luke and, uh, you know, yeah. blows straight through the TIE fighter head on. Um, I, I still think that's one of the coolest maneuvers we get in this battle. But, yeah, no, uh, it, Lucas is clearly, you know, using the pacing from his, you know, cobbled together world war two footage, uh, videos. So, um, and it's definitely something that I, I would agree stands up. 
Um, it's not the most exciting for something modern days, but it stands up to what we get uh, nowadays, I think. It's right. not overshadowed. Right. Um, but yeah, like following up, I love that that shot too with, with Wedge coming in and just blasting through the cockpit of that TIE fighter. And I've always loved that line, blasted Biggs, where are you? Right? Because Luke is expecting Biggs to have his back because he just had Biggs back, right? Like there's a fighter tight on, on Biggs. Yeah, I can't shake him. And then Luke comes up and takes care of it. Um, now Luke yeah. is accept, you know, expecting that kind of that reciprocation from Biggs, but Biggs just not able to get there in time, but Wedge takes care of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. So, but essentially we get three attack runs on, on the trench, right? The first attack run is by the Y wings by gold squadron. Um, mm-hmm. they all get picked off by Vader essentially. Um, yes. And then, You've got the second attack run by Red Leader and his wingmen, also mm-hmm. picked off by Vader at least. But but Red Leader gets a shot off, right? Hits away, you know. Yep. It didn't go in. Just an impact just Im- off the surface. <laughs> just impacted on the surface. Yeah. Um, sounds like he's from like Tennessee or something. <laughs> um, for real. Almost there. <laughs> Loosen up. Almost there. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, he gets, you know, he, he misses. He, Vader's got him cornered. By the way, when I was when I was young, I always, I don't know why, but I always thought that that was Vader on Luke's tail. I don't know why. I didn't put together that that was Red Leader. Um, but oh. then Red Leader gives the command for this final attack run. He puts Luke in charge, which is weird because um, he's brand new. And... Right. Um, the the line that my cousin used to love saying all the time, the, the cousin that got me into Star Wars, he'd always be like, it came from behind. <laughs> it came from behind. Well, that was um, that was Gold Squadron. You know, he's trying oh, to that's right, right. That is going Gold Squadron. on. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. It's, it's it is a fun line. I always like that guy, the old guy from Gold Squadron. Pops. He's that's his name, too, which is great. Pops. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So good. Got Porkins and Pops. <laughs> Porkins and Pops. You know, it's uh, basically a, <laughs> just a cereal brand. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, but I think the importance of that second attack run is that um, one, it, this, for, well, we learn in the first attack run, wow, this is almost impossible to get there just because of the enemy behind you. The second one mm-hmm. is like, well, this really skilled pilot finally got there, but oops. The computer can't hit it. Science can't do it, right? Like I don't, I don't think it's like right. a, an immediate like it's not a slam on science, but it's just like the, the technology. technology. Technology is not capable enough. So we finally get down to this final attack run. You've got Luke, Biggs, and Wedge, mm-hmm. um, and and Luke is a, it, it, what's really impressive is just how quickly Luke takes control. Luke takes command of this. He takes ownership yeah. of this situation. And he's calling out orders. The first thing he does is he tells them to stay well behind him to give him plenty of space and then to, you know, move their throttles to full thrusters, right? Like go as fast yeah. as possible. And Big's concern is like, well, geez, at that speed, are we going to be able to pull out? Going to be just like Beggar's Canyon back home, right? Like, again, Luke right. makes it relatable. Luke, in a way, like he he's he's making himself believe he can do this by making it 
comparable to something he has done, right? It's yeah. it just it makes me think of that moment in Force Awakens when Ray and Finn get on the ship, right? And they're both going, "I can do this, I can do this," right? <laughs> Lu- this is Luke right. psyching himself up. You know, it'll be just like Beggars Canyon back home. Like I've done yeah. something just like this before. It's prepared me for this moment. I can do this. Yeah. It's like David, you know, in the Bible, slaying the the lion and the bear before facing Goliath, you know. Yeah. Hey, look at you. <laughs> um, and you thought Carl was a theology major. Well, he is, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, but it's you know, it's uh, it's it's just like what a great little life lesson though, too, right? Like we, the things that seem impossible. Well, just think of a time in your you know, previously in your life when something seemed impossible, but you did it right. Like that's, that's the beauty of this moment is Lucas saying like, geez, this does seem impossible. However, I have these other experiences that tell me the impossible is possible. So, um, so you've got this final attack run, the adrenaline's pumping, the, the the music's going. Sorry, were you about to say yeah. something? I don't, I don't want well, to then, And then the even more impossible happens when Ben tells him to take the shot without the computer and yep. to use the force. <laughs> Let go, <laughs> you know? Luke. Let go, Luke. Um, Luke, and- switch off your targeting computer. Is everything all right? I'm fine. Come on. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and he does it, you know. Vader senses the force being strong in Luke. Um, he blows up R two a little bit. R two gets a little crispy fried, which is such a terrible shame because you know it's Anakin and R two, and they were like inseparable. Um, but right before Vader blows Luke up, uh, we get we get our old buddy Han back. Good old Han. Good old Han. Yahoo! You're all clicking on this plumbing thing and go home! Yeah. Um, <laughs> here we go. Yahoo! <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to play that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Stand yeah. by. <laughs> <laughs> and again, right, like, it's always been said what a great editor George Lucas is, right? He loves to do things in post. Um, And also to be fair, his wife, um, Marsha at the time, she was a fantastic editor as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the, the the way they edit together, all the tension here is so beautiful. And again, I want to give props to Ryan Johnson for his ability to do that in last Jedi. When you have, Finn and Rose about to be executed. Haldo about to pull off her maneuver. Um, the lightsaber about to split in half with Kylo and, and Ray, right? Like all these super huge climatic moments just coming to a head. That's exactly, you know, Ryan's, I, to me, like he's taking that right out of this moment from A New Hope where you've got, you know, you may fire when ready. The Death Star is primed and ready to fire. Vader's right on Luke's tail about to blow him up. Luke is not even using his targeted c- computer. And then, boom, here comes Han out of the sun, right? Um, again, <laughs> it's just like uh, such beautiful, simple s- symbolism there of the good guy coming in, makes the way for Luke, and Luke trusts himself, believes in himself, believes in the power of the Force, and boom, successful. Right. Vader spins out, lost to the far reaches of space. Um, and then we all head back. R two's a bit crispy, but they're going to fix him up. And we get the great throne room scene 
as we end this movie and end Act Three of Attack or Attack of the Clones. Jeez, A New Hope. <laughs> Um, I can't believe I said that. Uh, but as we end Act Three of Attack of the Clones, which I, I love, I did it again. <laughs> I know you love Attack of the Clones, Jason. But we're what, we're talking about a new hope. We are talking about a new hope, and I meant to say that twice now. Um, uh, but Jason, before but, before we get to the throne room, you you skipped over a very integral C three PO moment. Oh yes, three PO offers any of his uh, gears and switches. He'd gladly donate them if it'll help get R2 put back together. And the, the mechanic seems to think Freepio's a little over the top. but <laughs> He'll which, be all right. I mean, we'll get to work on him right away. But I mean, who, who on the God's green earth would ever think 3PO is over the top? I mean, seriously, he's the most mellow character in the entire saga. Oh, um, yeah, no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that nervous expression on his face in last jedi leia was reading into that (laughs) wipe that nervous expression off your face sorry nervous (laughs) (laughs) Um, last jedi had some great 3po moments oh it really did okay but yes there was a very integral 3po moment as he of course r2's not in any condition to hear that 3PO actually is concerned about him. Um, And I'm sure 3PO never told R2 that he was willing to donate gears and switches if it would help put R2 back together. Right. Um, At least not from 3PO. (laughs) Right, right. Now, do not repeat this. Um, (laughs) We should not ever speak of this. (laughs) Yeah. Now, um, but I, I love like when, you know, Luke climbs down his ladder and you know he's he's so excited he's so jazzed up and um you know the and han comes running in and they all embrace you know i knew that meant you know i i was gonna let you take all the reward i knew that meant more to you than money and that's exactly it right that that moment han coming back shows us without a doubt this is the type of character han solo is right yeah. like underneath it all he is a genuinely good person yeah. And the way they like, I just, I love that shot of the three of them with their arms around each other, Chewie marching behind them as they, you know, march off, you know, out of, out of off camera. But like, this is, this is a bond that has been formed by the end of this film. And it's just so perfect. Um, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And they all kind of get their, their little moments at the medal ceremony as Leia places medals you know, on Luke and Han. And we, we learn from the comics that Chewie gets his too. Um, but he gives it away. Good old Chewie. A little weird. Love you, Chewie, but you should have kept that. Should have kept that medal. Um, <laughs> and we see three PO and R2 all spiffy and shiny and new looking again, uh, which makes me happy. Um, cause it means R2 is put back together. So, um, but yeah, they all share these these silly looks between each other. Han's smirking and winking, and Luke's grinning like a fool, and Leia's trying to maintain composure and act professional. Um, you can tell this is the end of a long shoot, and these actors are really trying to just make it through. Uh, but it also just plays well with their characters, too. So, Right. Yeah, I it's... Right, and this is such a fantastic 
musical moment as obviously uh, it came in second on our, on our polls today, but yes, it's just great. I mean, it's such a great piece of music and it's so triumphant and it really just solidifies for us that this group, this group, this new formed family, this new formed friendships can, you know, conquer the empire. They can conquer the impossible when they work together. Yes. I just, I love it. It is a new hope. It is. And there you go. And there you have it. That's um, act three of A New Hope. <laughs> yeah, there we, we've talked all through A New Hope. So that means at some point we will do um, probably either next month or the month after we'll get to act three of Force Awakens. Mm, yes, that'll be fun. Yes. Uh, as we work. We actually had someone through. ask about us doing a commentary for Force Awakens, and I just realized that we kind of skipped that when we went to I, Rogue One. I agree. Yeah, I know. I, I saw that as well. Somebody asked us about that. And by the way, to, to all of you who wrote in to say how much you like our commentaries, thank you very much. That's really kind of you. Of course, they take a yes. while, but also what a commitment of yours to devote like two and a half hours of your time to listening to us. So thank you for that. Right. Um, Listen to us drone on yeah. and on and on. <laughs> right. But we will definitely get to a Force Awakens commentary um, soon. Definitely, definitely sometime this spring, because um, I know eventually we'll want to do a Last Jedi one with that movie coming out in March mm-hmm. for home release. Oh, yeah, definitely. But um, that'll wrap up our our act by act discussion here of a new hope we still got some more to do um so we'll continue on with that uh, as we move along move along move along um but carl before we start wrapping things up we do want to let everybody know that we have a matchup for next episode um and we are going to pit two very smooth characters against each other well, at least well, one is very I was smooth. Say one very smooth. Character. Yeah, one's very smooth. The other one likes to think he's smooth, but not so much. Um, and that's going to be uh, Finn versus Lando. Uh, and I'm really curious to see what people think about this one. Um, but Carl, yeah, where can people where can people chime in on that? Because you know that's going to be a fun one. I agree. Um, well, of course. They can do it on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Wampuslayer. Send us emails at podcast at gmail.com. And, of course, go ahead and support our page on our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Um, by pledging just $1 a month, you will get access to fun little mini episodes that Jason and I record every single week. Yes. Um, I think I missed last week, so this week there will be one up there, a, a uh, Wampus Lair background spotlight, so look for that um, right about the time this episode airs. So, Yes. Um, um, and then next week we're yeah. going to be back with a fun top five episode for all of you who love our top five lists. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're gonna, But we're going to make you wait for that one. Uh, we're not going to tell you what it is. Um, but yes, top fives or sevens uh, with honorable <laughs> mentions uh, since it's the Wampus Lair. <laughs> Anything else, Carl? Uh, you're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. Alright. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 271, A New Hope, Act 3. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here on the Wampus Lair.